Anne. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's, it's good, good to be here. Good. Nice one. So I think a good place to start would be to kind of get a bit of understanding of your, your history. I know you've um, been in the recruitment world for some time. So for those who know you and also those who don't, just be good maybe just to talk through where, where you kicked things off in the 80s to, to where you are now with Absco. Um, so graduated in the early 80s. My first job actually was selling ad space on computing magazine, recruitment ad space. I did that for a year before being headhunted into a recruitment company in the IT markets and one of the clients um, and loved recruitment. I mean, it was an accidental thing, obviously, because it generally is. Loved it. From there, worked in a couple of other recruitment companies, went to the dark side, HR manager at a couple of different software companies, got involved in training, created uh, a training company called Learning Curve, which after a number of years sold to uh, ADECO or Delphi Group that was acquired by ADECO, became UK sales director of computer people mm-hmm. and um, and then created APSCO in 1999. So this is our 25th year. 25 years. Yeah, yeah, it is. Big ticket. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. To be honest, I thought I would do that for a year and then get a proper job. Um, but it's, we've just been too busy to find yeah. a proper job and uh, created some interesting stuff for the recruitment market. Nice. you got, what, 1,100 members now? Yeah, it's just over 1,100 members in the UK, remember, Neil, because, yeah. of course, as you are in Australia, we're in Australia, we're in Singapore, we're in Germany. We have apps go outsource in the UK, which is for the RPO MSP companies, and outsource Europe, actually, which is based in Berlin. Okay. So... What was it? What was recruitment like back in the in the eighties? I mean, I was born in the eighties, so I still remember it. But what was the actual like the recruitment world like back then? You were probably only just born. Um, well, I suppose recruitment realistically was pretty similar to what it is now. There were some obvious differences. So when I first started, we didn't have a CRM. Uh, it wasn't even a database yeah. then. We had a box of cards, and the first database product that we got was called card box just to not spook anybody frankly um and the rest of it was not dissimilar enough to make me feel that we've really transformed in all of those years actually so it was pretty similar placement fees were similar contract margins the contract market was new and Mm. part of what our job was was to sell to a potential customer the concept of taking on contractors. Mm-hmm. So it was a conceptual sell rather than use my company rather than somebody else's company. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, it was shockingly similar. Obviously much less competition, obviously an open market, a different sell. I would say that we weren't quite as candidate short job boards weren't even around then. Mm-hmm. It was advertising, and a lot of the advertising was paper-based advertising mm-hmm. in trade journals and in the Sunday Times, for heaven's sake. When the Sunday Times was a key component on any recruitment consultant, if they're working at senior levels, job to look at it on yeah. a Sunday. So how, how do you go back and those, where do you get your candidate information from? There's no LinkedIn. People weren't necessarily you know, sending emails with a CV. So where were you holding mm-hmm. the candidate on, on 
paper cards, I'm assuming. On cards, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it quickly changed into putting them on a database. But the reality is it was on cards. Yeah. And your client information was on cards, and then you tried to match the two up. Yeah. You needed a better memory. People had piles of CVs. They're all paper-oriented on your desk. Mm-hmm. There were times when I would take a candidate for an interview and try and close it there and then, certainly contract-wise. Even making sure that your contractor had a decent suit on was part of the deal, Mm -hmm. taking them for an interview. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's craziness Mm -hmm. now. It feels crazy now, Mm -hmm. but you could close things there and then. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then moving into the 90s? Um, then, of course, things became quite, you know, um, computerized. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, you know, go into, obviously, there's no artificial intelligence or whatever, and matching wasn't particularly good. It was all Boleyn searching, you know, keyword searching. So simplistic. But again, because there were less recruitment companies than there are now, it wasn't quite as competi- uh, competitive, sorry. Um, and it's a different sell. But you could get involved with your customer. You could win long-term business relationships and develop them. So it was pretty fulfilling. I loved being a recruitment consultant, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, because it was fulfilling. But I do remember, you know, at times when people would hide CVs because things came still in the post then. Until obviously then it was emails and you had to make sure that that information was updated on your systems because you put rubbish in, you got rubbish back out. When we did sell, we would sell the scale of our database bigger than anyone else's or not. Um, and then later on in the 90s, you would sell that your your database, start calling it CRM, was more up-to-date than anybody else's, maybe not the largest, but the most up-to-date. And then it was about, in some ways, as it is now, selling your tech stack that you could deliver and you could provide information and data that the customer mm. wanted. Mm. And when did the competition start to really heat up where you were getting people snapping at you? Your heels coming after your own clients? I would say that was a gradual thing right the way through. Look, the UK invented recruitment, Mm -hmm. okay, in Victorian times, actually, and therefore it's been a growth area. We've got it. The European market didn't start growing to a hell of a lot later. America got it pretty quickly, and that market is highly competitive. But actually, we still have uh, more recruitment companies in the UK than in America with a much Mm -hmm, smaller mm -hmm. population, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that was a gradual thing. It wasn't an overnighter, and there's not a time that you can totally pick it out. I was in the IT recruitment market, and that was a market, especially on the contract side, that really flew very quickly. Okay. And then you found a gap in the market with the creation of AppSchool. You said you wanted to run it for a year, give yourself something of interest. But what prompted you to to do that? It wasn't originally my idea. I'd had uh, an idea when I was running my training firm that trained recruitment people um, that there was an opportunity for a new kind of trade body for the recruitment market. If there was going to be professionalism, whatever, then we, we should be able to sell it. And to make sure that governments and in those days of course the EU understood what recruitment looked like especially at the professional end. I was approached by um, some people in the IT contract market that wanted to really defend themselves against in those days IR35 legislation Mm -hmm. that was just being mooted. So created APSCO with the help of 15, 14 actually of the top 15 
IT recruitment contract firms who put 10 grand in each to set up a trade body specifically for the IT market. And then beyond that, 10 years later, we went across the professional markets yeah. because they were like, like me, kind of marketplaces, realistically. Gosh. And that contract market had grown. Obviously, Perm was always part of that. But it was about IR35 in the first instance, that old chestnut that's wow. still rolling now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still being talked about even... Oh, big last, ticket. Yeah. yeah. Last year and this, yeah. Okay. Um, and you're up to 1,100 members? Yeah, bigger bigger than that. Actually, UK. Remember, we've got members in all of those other countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then moving, like I guess, forward with with Absco, what what trends did you see then going into two thousands up to where we are now? Um, I think the trends again are on market growth. There's more sophistication, I would say within the market, the client base, they're asking for a lot more. They want information. They want to understand salary surveys. They want us to give them information on which to make better decisions. They want to understand how many likely candidates they might be in a specific area with the specific skill sets. So I would say the client base has become much more sophisticated Mm -hmm. and more demanding Mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. As the competition has grown, we've responded with trying to be quicker, which doesn't always allow us to add the quality of service that we would like to give. But it's often, you know, it's a speed-oriented service now. And that can be dangerous when you're quite trying to keep the, the quality level of service. And then if you look more recently, there's been a big focus from a candidate point of view. We've been so candidate short, whether it be contractors or perm candidates, especially at those professional markets, that there's been a strong focus, not about getting requirements, those have been pretty easy to get, but more about finding candidates that nobody else has got. And that makes sense, but there's a shift back to the business-to-business skill sets that recruitment consultants are needing to have. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of recruitment consultants and a lot of recruitment companies have been left floundering without the right staff, sometimes without the right training for those staff, often without the right leadership that can manage people that may be working in a hybrid manner. So managing people on Zoom is a different ball game to managing them face to face. Developing those staff to be the leaders of the future is a different ball game, and making sure you've got the right systems and processes in place that tech stack really to make it a differentiator all over again. Mm-hmm. Because in the last five, even ten years, you haven't needed to differentiate so much might be marketing your brand it's about creating some difference between you and your competitors so there's been a quite a big change it's a cyclical thing recruitment mm-hmm. and we're just at that change of the cycle now and where where do you think agencies can differentiate themselves if you had to pick a, like i said a select few points for them to, you know, not bite off too much to get on with, but to, to focus on to be different from the competition. Where where the ones who are doing a good job? Um, for a start, I wouldn't call any, for instance, APSCO members agencies. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to get the terminology as a recruitment company absolutely right. If you pitch yourself as an agency, you're going to get paid agency margins 
which is 10%, you're going to get paid agency margins, recruit agency staff, when actually, if you're a recruitment firm or a recruitment consultancy or a staffing organisation, or whatever else that may be, you're looking for different people. I think the differentiators are about the level and quality of people that you've got Mm -hmm. and the training you give them to keep them and develop them. I think it's about marketing because we didn't need to market our brands for quite a long period of time, and I think nowadays you do. Um, And often developing staff and marketing budgets are the ones that get cut really quickly, and those are the ones I think you can't afford to cut these days. Um, I do think getting the right technical stack is important because, again, that sophisticated client base want to have a whole load of data and information and and analysis of that data to make sure they're looking for the right people in the right place with the right skill sets and hire them in the right way and keep them a long time Mm -hmm. and measure their success within their businesses. And we're part of that and we should be and we can be. So making sure that we can look at what's out there. I do think clients uh, want us to utilise artificial intelligence to give them the information and to show that elements of the job can be done quickly and efficiently. I think the other thing that we need to do as businesses in the recruitment market is make sure that we are efficient the way that we run our businesses and that we have high productivity levels. Do you know 70% of all requirements in the recruitment market are never filled by recruitment companies? Well, that's a big... 70%. That's a huge waste, really, isn't it? So if we could be more efficient and more productive with the requirements that we've got already and even place 10% of that 70%, if we could place those people, we would up the ante in a huge way of making sure that our recruitment companies are great at what we do. So there are changes that we can make internally. There are changes that we can make externally with the view of the business from that marketing point of view um, that makes us stand tall in a recruitment market, I would say that has some tall companies, has some medium-sized companies, and some shorter ones that need to step up to the plate. Okay. And where is a good place for people to start? So you see in developing market and, and technology, the three things that people need to be focusing on. But for some consultancies, they may they may struggle to say with with the market. They don't know where to start. So where do they look at to address that? I think the big thing is work out who you are. And one of those ways is to step back and look at why you opened a recruitment company in the first place. Yeah. What was the problem you were trying to solve? And look, it's easy to assume that people that set up their own recruitment company because they're obviously entrepreneurs are doing it to make loads of money. And actually. In my experience, most of the people that set up a recruitment company are doing it because they think they can do it better than the firms they've worked for in the market. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes in the firms that they've met when they were an end user client, you know, maybe they were an HR director and they dealt with recruitment firms and they think they can do a better job. So if you step back, think, who are you? What are you trying to achieve? That would dictate who the people are that you want to recruit from the word go. Because let me tell you, if you recruit your number one employee and it's the wrong type of person, you've turned a left when you should have turned a right, you're going to get it wrong from there on. Yeah, 
okay? So start really early, recruiting the right people that get what you're trying to achieve. And I think marketing comes with being true to yourself and what you're trying to do. And I think we forget it sometimes. Mm. And that's about external marketing, which is using social media realistically, having good content, whether it's podcasts or other really good content. I think you need people that have expertise in the market that you're specialising in. There's really no reason to set up a general recruitment company now. I think it's a nonsense. Even the multinational recruitment firms are specialists or multi-niche specialists in all different markets, but they focus on those. So I think you need to understand your market, train the people you recruit to understand that market and add some real value in that market and show that in everything that you Mm -hmm. do. I think if you try and market something that isn't the reality, you get found out really quickly in a very open Mm -hmm. marketplace now where Mm -hmm. it's hard to hide things. Rightly so. So be who you are. Be proud of who you are. Show what that means to end user customers and candidates as why they should come to you. Make sure that you're good enough in your service to get recommendations. That's the best marketing you could possibly do. That every touch point is fantastic, whether it be for for candidates that recommend you or for end user clients that want to give you a try. Then build those relationships beyond that. And then it's hard work. It's about building relationships, not about account management. It's about account development Mm -hmm. to make sure there's always a Mm -hmm. flow of requirements in a market where you can get the candidate base Mm -hmm. and try and make sure that you have well-qualified requirements that get worked on properly by consultants. That means you're not having 70% wastage. If 70% of your wine was being wasted in a winery... They just wouldn't look have at it, it. Wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. You'd, You'd look at it as a problem. We, we were having a conversation before and you were saying that there's been a lot of change over the last five years in the industry, you know, a lot with, with lockdown and 2022 in some spaces was a, a license to print money and now that it's there's more of a focus on the client side, yeah. some some firms are finding it difficult to adjust to what that looks like because it's no longer necessarily with a huge onus on the candidate it's now looking at those requirements like yeah. you say sourcing the right candidates but you also you mentioned there about being um reacting to clients needs and providing the right metrics yeah how did how do firms adapt around what that that changed since 22 where it's they should be focusing more on the managing the clients rather than solely just focusing on candidates yeah it's not a pivot i mean you were avoiding that term appropriately i think and we've been using that a lot in the past few years it's not a pivot you can't move that quickly into having the team of people that really are out there simply resourcing to find great candidates which means if you have superstars you can place them easily it's about having people with business to business wherewithal I think that's in having good quality people and a lot of people that were recruited toward the end of 2022 as a bum on a warm bum on a seat Mm -hmm. in a recruitment company have not made the grade through 23 and have gone already so I think it's about having the right people I think it's about changing sometimes your focus on what the what right looks like and what you need to pay for right person and what the future for right person is going to be and what you need to offer them 
okay? Um, and then it's about developing people with the right skill set. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that automatically. It's then about giving people the right tools to do that job properly. So it's not a quick change. You can get rid of people easily, but you can't find amazingly good, smart, able, quick, good communicators, inquiring minds. And it'd be great if you can get people with some experience of the market sector you're in. That doesn't always work. I think there's going to be more hiring of people from those backgrounds, though, actually. Mm -hmm. And although I think sales is hugely important, and, you know, I started off as a salesperson, and I still count myself as somebody who loves persuasive communication, the reality is it's not a bits and bob kind of sell. It's not close that deal instantly. It's about creating relationships so that you can have a real consultative sale. It's about building credibility. You can only do that from showing your knowledge and your expertise. Building credibility and utilising that for an end user client and candidates actually to trust your advice. And they don't give you many opportunities to fail on that. Mm-hmm. And so consequently, it's a different calibre of people. It's not a pivot. It's something that needs to be part of what's going on. Okay. And you find that most of your members are, are looking to develop the existing staff that have got those warm bums on the seats to keep them and retain them, or are they or they getting rid of them to then look for new candidates with perhaps that experience. Because surely a lot of those new hires back in latter part of 2022 will be receptive to developing and not pivoting, but just morphing into what needs to be now with the focus on the client. But if they're not given the opportunity to be developed or receiving the development, then it's... It's a bit of a catch-22 for some of those. Isn't it just? So I would say um, there's a mix. I mean, it's a complete mix. So there's a reality check. Some of the people that recruitment companies hired in 22 are not going to make the grade in front of clients. And in front of might be on Zoom calls because, again, I think we're needing to learn to sell in different channels than we've ever done. It might be Zoom calls. It might be emails, it might be that social media side of things, using LinkedIn to approach Mm -hmm. people, which is obviously very common, and having those skill sets. Now, some of those skill sets are trainable, but actually if somebody can't write and has no interest in being able to write persuasive emails and they don't want to be trained to do that, I think they're not going to be the people that you want in the future. And so I think there's a complete mix. What I would say is... It, you know, let's hope that we haven't thrown classically the baby out with the bathwater sure. and that we're giving people an opportunity. But the recruitment market has always been agile. It's just this change will have left some company with the wrong people, mm-hmm. whether they're prepared to give them the time to become the right people and whether there's an opportunity for that will depend on the situation any recruitment company is at the minute okay. and their attitude, actually. Yeah, yeah, and also, if you think about it, you know, you've got different types of people that we're looking for to bring into recruitment. And there are some younger people that, you know, the Generation Z point that would quite like to park their bicycle somewhere rather than being shown pictures of new cars that they can earn 
on a lease for a year. I mean, that was the the thing yeah. it was. Yeah. But there were always people that weren't interested. I, I remember trying to, someone trying to headhunt me out of my recruitment firm and in an interview, they offered me the job and showed me a brochure of cars and I could have any one. And I'm a central London girl. I'm just not interested in cars at all. It, you know, as long as they were the right colour, which I think was dark grey or red in those days, I just didn't get yeah. it. Preferably had a German logo. But the reality is I don't, I don't know anything about cars. And so they just didn't get didn't me get on you, the yeah. right thing. Yeah. And I think some recruitment companies are still caught in a bit of time warp being run by the owner-manager of thinking that what worked for them... To be motivated still works for everybody now. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think it does. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we need to look at, if we're looking at different people, we need to manage them in different ways, as I've said, but we need to motivate them in different ways. Mm-hmm. And there's more about the company culture. It's more about their purpose of what are they doing in recruitment. I think recruitment is an amazing place for actually Gen Zs because we change people's lives by placing them in jobs. We help UK PLC by making sure that end user clients or government bodies or whatever have the team for themselves to expand and and have success stories okay so we can we can create that purpose we will have had a purpose if we created our own business so we can utilize the purpose of someone coming in recruitment pay appropriately i think we should be paying bigger basic salaries much smaller commission bases some companies might even stop paying commission have team bonuses who knows there's discussions about that just at the minute i don't know that you had a um you had a an event not so long ago where the last week or was it last week that the subject was is it time to get rid of commission yeah is commission dead um look we have something at apsco called apsco disrupt which is where a great guy who likes disrupting stuff steve carter and Mm. i prod and poke really and it's about why are we still doing things in the same way that we always did them why do we still think we can pay someone 20 to 25 grand but we want fantastic people and then pay them commission i mean the average salaries in the recruitment market including commissions have gone down since i was a recruitment consultant in the 80s they've gone down in fact they're about half of what i used to earn in 1985 six okay because of the competition and it's harder Mm -hmm. than it was so why haven't we changed the way? We want to attract different types of people because that's who's out there, but we're paying them in the same way. So we're looking at, we were in that, deciding whether commission is dead. I think the consensus view is commission's not quite dead yet, but actually maybe it's discussed. different. Yeah. Look, it's good to prod and poke, isn't it? My view would be bigger base salaries is more of a risk mm. to you running your business but surely we need to back ourselves in recruiting the right people. We need to take more time, more effort to recruit the right people because the reality is the right people need to get mortgages, actually, because rents are sky high. They want to get mortgages. They want an opportunity to be able to put um, their heart and soul into to building a career. And yet we're still offering low basic salaries, that may not even pay the rent these Mm, days. mm. Low basic salaries, nice to get people that are eager to work. Let's try and manage them, not in a manipulative way, just about money, but perhaps giving them different things. Yeah. And a salary that's 
worth it. If we want professionals, we need to develop them as professionals and we need to pay them as professionals. So maybe it's time to change. Interesting take, yeah. And we, we saw a lot, like, in 2023 of firms looking to diverse. So they were thinking, okay, well, 2022, great year. 2023, we're not too sure. So you know, we had several who were opening up new brands, others who were working in contract, but they were then looking at contract, others who were expanding overseas, particularly looking at the US. So where, have you, where are your members seeing the most success in that diversity or new new areas where they perhaps weren't a few years back? Look, our members in that professional market have always expanded in two different ways. Mm -hmm. That's either, I mean, they're all niche players. They can be multi-niche, but the reality is either they expand by opening up in another niche. Mm -hmm. Most of our members will have a contract division or they definitely want one. That's a no-brainer. I think when you first start payrolling contractors can cause you cash flow problems. You can overtrade quickly, so you often start with perm to get the cash in. But the reality is if you want to sell your business, um, contract is where it's at if you want to make good money. So most of them will go into that contract market. Um, and if they haven't, they will be. Yeah. Right? It's a no-brainer, I'd say. A lot of them uh, have gone into other niche markets, and that makes sense too. Um, I always think the hardest niche to go into is IT, because you need. I think you need DNA in IT. It's a diff quite a different market. And maybe I'm saying that because I come from an IT market, but I do recognise it as a different market. And a lot of companies that have tried to go from finance or whatever into IT have struggled. It's quite fast-moving, highly competitive. You need really good people, I think. So it might be better to buy a small company or at least get somebody who knows that market to help you do that. The rest of the APSCO members either have already an overseas office mm -hmm. or they're looking at doing that. And that maybe that they're at a stage where they're placing overseas getting ready before they actually open an office. So they might be placing from the UK and looking to open up. Right. We run trade delegations every year. We've been doing that for 15 years, actually, yeah. maybe about 16, 17 years now. We've been doing that to different places. Where is the place? It's the States. Mm -hmm. Last year and this year, it's the only place that people are looking at. Okay. It really is. Have our members done well in the States? You need deep pockets to make sure that you can cash flow until you make good money. But the potential in the States is really huge. It just is. Other places that people have gone to and done very well is Germany, mm -hmm. not so far away, no time difference, but a language barrier. Um, but people are kind of attracted to the States. And what I say to our members is just be careful if you're going to open overseas, just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. It's not an ego trip. Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. for some businesses, it is a bit. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be an ego trip. Make sure that you've got deep pockets. Make sure I think that you can send some DNA of your own to open something and expand off the back of that with Americans. Choose the right place. Everybody wants to be in San Francisco and and or New York. I get that. They're great places. They're both the most expensive places to run businesses. They're both the most crowded areas for recruitment companies. And actually, 
they're just not even vaguely places that I would bother opening up in the first instance. There are a whole load of states that are up and coming, some that haven't got there yet, that have thriving recruitment markets. And those can be the places that are really interesting and easier to get graduate trainees, easier because they've got loads of airports to travel to meet other people. But of course, with you know meeting people face-to-face is less of an issue, useful in America, but less of an yeah. issue than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think like a year, year and a half ago, people when they were discussing expanding to the states, there was like there was nervousness. They didn't know where to start. But where where we are, where we've seen over the last few months, is there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good people out there who've experienced it or consult into how to expand into those regions. I mean, we had PGC on the the podcast in the last season. You know, they they give so much advice on what to do and what to watch out for. So I don't think I don't think firms need to be need to see it as a worry in expanding into new regions if they follow the right advice? I do think that's right. I think the PGC are fantastic. We do a lot of work with them in the States, actually. I think they offer a great service. But I also think they would agree that you need to do your groundwork before you go. Mm -hmm. That's why apps go do trade delegations, and they're inexpensive to go. So last year, we went to New York because people want to go, but we also went to Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. What an amazing place to open an office. And let me tell you, the people that came with us to that, not everyone wanted to go on that bit of the trip. You could choose. Generally, they're all opening up in Carolina. Oh, absolutely. Um, This year, later on in the year, I think September, we'll be going, actually not to New York this time, but we'll be going to probably Austin, which has for the last few years been an interesting place in Texas, and Tampa Mm -hmm. in in, um, Florida, both of which are really growth areas. But what I would say is, I'd reiterate, have deep pockets. Don't expect to be making loads of money straight away. And you also have to remember that America is a a place with 50 states, each of which has legislation, some are licensed, others aren't, of taxation legislation as well as how you set up your business appropriately. Boy, oh boy, do you need to know your stuff because America is a a litigious kind of place. You will get sued if you screw it up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the reality is really take advice Make sure that you've got enough to cash flow yourself through a long growth area. And if it were me, I would start by doing some placements from here to check your market or follow a client that gives you some guaranteed requirements. Make sure you can send your own DNA. It makes such a big difference mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to land and expand off the back of business that you're doing already. Mm-hmm. Look, I would say, wouldn't I, go on an APSCO trade delegation to make sure you've got everything to hand. I mean, if, when they're two different venues, they're a week-long trade delegation, five days, to make sure you've got everything to make the decision on where, mm-hmm. when, and how. Okay. And when you're going to make a profit to do that budget forecast. Because people think, you know, that those, a uh, bit like London, that the paving stones are made of gold and actually not quite that. No, the reality is quite different, isn't it? It's, it's tough. And the time difference is tough, yeah. actually. Um, but when you succeed in America, I mean, that's pretty thrilling. 
we've had so many AppsCo members that are doing brilliantly in the States. Actually, in our member meeting in Manchester just last week, I had somebody who came on that trade delegation last year and is now making good money from the States. Good for them. It's lovely. It's nice yeah. to hear it. That's, you yeah, know, absolutely. that's what we want to hear. Yeah. yeah. And you said at some point last year, I think we were at a lunch, you said that the recruitment agency is almost a barometer for the economy and what's happening in the, in the political world. Yeah. What do you think's on the on the horizon for 24? Well, if we look at the UK, so we're, we are that bellwether, is what they call it, that um, things move up quickly in the recruitment market when confidence is high. Um, that hasn't started yet. And remember, this is a weird year politically and therefore econ- uh, from an economic point of view um, for all sorts of reasons, but one of which is we've got a general election. Sure. And so consequently, when there's a general election year, especially if there's predicted a change of government, then confidence is twitchy with end-user clients because they don't know. And so consequently, um, if I were guessing the election would be in November, what do I know? I'm sure Rishi Shunak doesn't even know it really at the minute. He'll, he'll make a decision a bit later on, but probably in November, let's say. And what we're seeing is the market is picking up, but it's not jumping back to that period in 2022 where it was so easy and we all hoped it was going to go on forever. Some people hoped it wasn't going to go on quite forever because they were a bit tired in that year. <laughs> but the reality is last year was more of a normal kind of market. In comparison to 2022, it looked like a rubbish market. This year's getting better. I mean, it's you know just the beginning of February, so it's still early days. I would say there's cautious optimism. That's given us time to build the skill sets in recruitment companies that can deliver. But we need to be aware that with a potential change of government that's being mooted, end user clients and us, therefore, are going to be twitchy about making big changes. People are worried about corporation tax. People are worried, although I understand the Labour you know, uh, Keir Starmer has put something out recently to say it won't be above 25%. But the reality is with those kind of things, people get twitchy. The economy is, you know, undecided. They, You know, we're worried about any other wars looming as well as natural disasters and Lord knows what else. So the global economy is going through a twitchy. I mean, twitchy is the word I'm using on a regular <laughs> basis, I'm finding. And there's a reason for that because there's so many things that can affect the economy, which affect confidence, which affect the recruitment market. Yeah, yeah. So we are a bellwether, yeah. We're picking up a bit. Good. Some markets better than others and more quickly than others. Mm. So you were saying that about the where where firms need to get it right in attracting the right staff, but also once they've got the, the employees in doing a good job to develop them and retain them what what are your way members doing a good job of that you know we've got quite different needs with all the different generations that are coming through now so where where are your members doing a doing a good job on that front look i i think if you look at the really large recruitment companies they will have departments that will look regularly and have the data internally about 
whether they're retaining the right people, whether they're attracting and retaining the right people. So some of the big companies have made some big changes already. Um, and those changes are about looking at having long-term career paths that are outlined very specifically for recruitment consultants. A lot of those bigger companies spend a lot of money on training, mm. whether that's about having development teams, talent development teams internally, or utilising external organisations for that kind of talent development. There's a lot of money being spent on training at the minute in recruitment. And, you know, as I said, it might be internal training teams or using external companies. But we know from APSCO talent development, the spend is huge, actually, at this moment in time, and has been for the last couple of years, on taking people on a journey throughout their career within a company and looking at benefits packages. And again, as I said earlier on, one size doesn't fit all. No. Giving your own staff options of choosing what benefits you would like, having a smorgasbord approach to what are the benefits that you want mm -hmm. and can utilise. And, and I find that people within the recruitment market are enjoying that kind of flexibility. I think also that big company culture piece is important to show that your recruitment company is a good match to what the market looks like, to make sure that it's just not all one size fits all with regard to the type of staff you recruit for yourself and the advice you yeah. can give end user clients. So having an inclusive environment, making sure that looks and is inclusive, that you have a broad base of people, ages as well. It's not all about Generation Z. It's about recruiting the right people, whomsoever they are and what background they've come from, and making sure that your management of them can uh, be specific to them, whether it's about packages, whether it's about their career and how you manage them as individuals. Mm. So there's some, you know, some companies doing some really interesting things. Mm. It's always the big companies can afford to spend more money and, yeah. and do it over a period of time to look at what they should be doing. But a number of the smaller companies are really play catch up, actually, I would say, and are doing a great job. Good. But always more can be done. And it's not, it can't just be a Polaroid snapshot of now because it's a video over the long time. And you need to be changing the players and the way they play within that video. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's a changing environment, yeah, always. Yeah. I mean, the next generation, my understanding, is uh, alpha. So Generation Z is not quite over, but alpha <laughs> will soon be coming. And we're going to find out what they, what they want, want, what yeah. turns them on with regard to, to working really hard, providing great results and staying over the distance mm -hmm. and developing it into being the you, but of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting, but it's always changing. Mm -hmm. And we can't keep ourselves in a rut of assuming what we worked for is the same thing as what new yeah. people coming in are going to work for. But I think it's interesting what you said. It's like you've got to, you were saying about the messaging and how you you get across your brand is it has to be true to you as to why you started that recruitment company. But then you want to, you want to have an employer brand which attracts different people from different backgrounds and different experiences, which isn't necessarily 
wouldn't necessarily just be aligned to why you started the business. So there's a lot of considerations in the employer brand compared to your own employee brand. Yeah, and your people strategy. And as I said, you know, you can get it wrong with the first employee if you're not careful. And then your second employee joins something that that just not quite is right. heading in yeah. a direction. It might be quite right for them because generally you 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 tend to, if you're not careful, want to have a room of people that are just like you. <laughs> I was great. Let's get them all just like me, and then you're surprised that everyone agrees with all your decisions yeah. because <laughs> nothing changes. Funnily enough, they're yeah. just like you, and nothing changes. They all look like you. Half of them came from the same university or went to university when maybe you don't need people. Mm. You can go skills first on employing people mm-hmm. and so there are different ways of doing it but you have to be careful as you build your brand to go through what it was about in the beginning mm-hmm. and generally I, I want to think and I do believe it wasn't all about to make loads of money because let me tell you if that's what your business is all about let's make loads of money it's not going to actually attract a whole load of people that you want to pay low basics to and commission yeah, of when you're still going to make loads of money it's not the turn on that I think the people you want for the future is going to work for them mm-hmm. it's not that thing mm. find out what it was and actually carry that through mm. and sell it regularly to your team sometimes we forget and get caught just in the rut of the day-to-day management of our business rather than inspiring our people yeah to rec- you know, recognise what the purpose is and why we're doing certain things. Mm. Most of us, it's about doing something better than anybody else. Yeah. And generally being better. Yeah. I think it is a motivator. Um, but you have to remember it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes just that sales target, sales targets, sales targets, and being paid on hitting a sales target rather than perhaps have, adding some things in with client satisfaction or candidate recommendations or expanding a business into to something more is a different ball game and often more a turn on actually to the people that mm. we really should be trying to recruit yeah so what what's on the what's on the agenda in the calendar for absco over the next year i know you said that you've been doing there was just shy of 150 events last year. And it's... 140. Mm. I don't want to... Obviously, I'm a salesperson, but I'll try not to exaggerate too much. But 140 <laughs> meetings last year. Some of those were webinars or Zoom-oriented meetings because our membership is based, you know, all the way through the country and it can be easy for them to get to. So anything that's knowledge-based, we tend to do on a Zoom call, anything, or or Teams, whatever, anything that is needing more discussion, we like to try and do face-to-face in different places in the country. Um, Meetings are are on the cards. Um, I'd like to think not 140 this year, not because we can't be bothered to do them, but I think we should group them in slightly different ways. So we're looking in the second half of the year to be doing some face-to-face meetings, but look like conferences, actually, and so that it's worth somebody coming to... Birmingham or Manchester for a a half a day Mm -hmm. with different meetings so that they can utilise that time and it's worth coming face to face or London Um, but not all London obviously we have a conference an artificial intelligence conference which is a whole day it's free of charge for AppsGo members uh, that's going to be on a Zoom call where we'll have tracks that people can look at 
um, compliance and risk analysis and look separately, different people within their team coming to look at the sort of strategic planning and and stuff like that. Um, so that's pretty interesting. We have, it's going to be opened by a speaker from um, Accenture, mm -hmm. who are doing some really interesting things, and Microsoft is speaking, um, and I'm hoping LinkedIn are going to be speaking as well. Some big ticket, right. yeah. Yeah. out of the box scenarios, as well as focusing more into the recruitment point of view. Um, trade delegation, I mentioned earlier on, that's going to be again to the States because that's where people want to go. The only place that people seem to want to go and have a look at. Everything else a little bit too early for this year, but the States is there. Um, we've just opened this year already in January, outsource, Absco outsource in uh, Europe, based in Germany in the first instance, and we'll expand that further afield. And outsource and APSCO, so that RPO MSP market and the recruitment market are doing more joint things. And we'll see that as the year goes through to make sure that the relationship really works for both parties. Mm -hmm. Because let me tell you, as a recruitment person, um, those outsourced businesses have nothing without us in recruitment. And so it's good that the relationship's better, that it's not paid when paid clauses, that we're not making sure that people are suffering um, by working alongside, but that the relationship can be a great one of partnership. So that's an interesting piece. Um, and we're looking at expansion further field again this year and the likelihood is that that will be somewhere else within Asia, Southeast Asia. Um, we're in Singapore and we have been for a number of years, but we're looking further than Singapore um, as to where the next APSCO office will be. Uh, we're going to be busy then. We're always busy at APSCO. We're always busy. Obviously, expansion of the membership base. Um, what I would say is talent development is flying had a quieter year last year. 2022 was mad. Um, a year that was about the relationships that we'd gotten in 2022 and previously and delivering off of those. But actually, APSCO Talent Development is delivering training all over the world now. Mm. So expanding Amazing. that from a geographic point of view, we're running training in America, we have done for a while, training in Australia and in different European centres mm. now too, and of course in Southeast Asia mm. as well. Feedback on that has been unbelievably great, but further expansion of that, plus making sure we're there for the needs of our members that need more development for leaders, including at CEO level actually, mm -hmm. for leadership development, and indeed for that business-to-business -business sales skills development that's different to what it used to be five years yeah. ago. It's a different sell. Yeah. Yeah, so what started as a, as a year-long project 25 years ago has come on some way, has it now? <laughs> it has a bit, actually. Yeah. I always found I was too busy to find a proper job, I remember telling people. <laughs> um, I, I just because it was fun. It's been great fun. Yeah. It's been great fun. There was a gap in a market for somebody to who loves recruitment, by the way, who has a passion for the recruitment market because we change businesses and we change lives. Mm. Not many other mm. jobs can do that. Yeah. And so consequently, there's so much more that we can be doing to service our members. Mm. And, yeah, that's why I'm still here. 
I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. It's been it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. I hope I hope you found it enjoyable, and I hope that the uh, the listeners take away a lot to, to learn from and help them run their own uh, their own firms. So thank you. Thank you, Neil, for having me. Thank you. Pleasure.